you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Alex DeRaika and Lee Mallet. DRMM is a London-based architecture practice founded in 1995 by Alex DeRaika, along with Philip Marsh and Sadie Morgan. Alex is responsible for the concept, construction, and delivery of the practice's Timberworks. It's a diverse set of projects, diverse in their inventive use of wood, including a Maggie's Cancer Center and the Hastings Pier, which was nominated this year for the prestigious Reba Sterling Prize. The winner will be announced in just a few days on 31st of October. Lee is a longtime friend of Alex's and has consulted with the RMM. He's a director of Urbic, a content creation agency that helps developers, architects, and local authorities develop regeneration strategies and communicate their ideas, whether it's in pitches, in film, or in the media. On the agenda today, we ask why it can be so difficult to compel people to let you build anything interesting. You've got two really nice projects that have completed uh, recently, and uh, the Hastings Pier and uh, Maggie's Centre in Oldham. And I guess that they represent everything that you've been trying to achieve throughout your career. Uh, Maybe there are aspects which don't quite do what you really are trying to achieve. But I think there's something which links them both in terms of the way we all might uh, look at them and think about them. What do you think the qualities are about the Maggie Centre in Oldham and Hastings Pier that best represent your kind of practices work? There's a lot of questions in there. I mean, one is... um do they have anything in common? Something I haven't considered, actually. I've, mm. I've worked on them very separately. But um, inevitably, the answer is, is yes to that. It's superficially, they're timber constructions, very uh, yeah. didactic, very particular kind of engineered timber approach. But um, more interesting, maybe, is more interesting than a sort of technical aspect of it. More interesting is that they both represent, if you like, indispensable art, you know, the, the difference between architecture as fancy buildings, say, mm. or merely shelter. I'm a great fan of what I call useful art. A little, yeah. uh, indispensable art with Siegfried Gid and, you know, the art historian. That's his definition. I prefer a simpler one where the, the word use is uh, intrinsic to the fact that it is more than just shelter, the art part, in other words. Ah, okay. So, um... And you the know. timber, but the timber mm. bit has also been a central theme, hasn't it? You could you could say that the, you know, the whole eco movement has driven design in architecture for maybe thirty years or more now. And your decision to sort of concentrate on timber is part of that. Well, it is one of the reasons I like timber is its credentials, if you like, environmentally. But it, I'm no. Um, tree hugger, you know, I'm more of a tree chopper, I think, <laughs> <laughs> albeit provided you plant more. Um, so I think in a way ecology hasn't driven architecture enough. You know, the, the construction industry mm. is what happens, you know, what, what gets built is a manifestation of the construction industry. The architecture profession within that 
has had relatively little influence, I think, on the industry. So part of what DRMM does in my practice is to advocate timber as mainstream construction. In other words, one of the few materials that uses far less carbon than any other you yeah. know, mass-produced like you said, system. it's got really good environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, a tonne of steel is two tonnes of carbon. A tonne of engineered timber is probably minus 1.6 or thereabouts. So, you know, it's a no-brainer. But I would say that ecology in the sense of architecture and as an expression of ecology is relatively narrow and um, it's like a cult yeah. within the system. So it doesn't have a massive influence. It operates in parallel to the vast majority of the construction industry, which I'm interested in attacking or yeah. engaging with. You know. do, you think, do you think that your use of timber is an implied criticism of yeah. the way in which the construction industry operates? Uh, but it's also led you to be regarded as uh, cutting edge to a certain extent in that respect. But I suppose what was interesting for me was you know, going back to your suggestion that you're interested in the, the artistic component in what you do as an essential piece of architecture that makes it better, mm. functions better, mm. if that component is working better, yeah. timber has given you something else in that respect as well, hasn't it? You're not doing it just for eco purposes. No. In both these projects, the use of timber in very different ways has added an extra aesthetic dimension to the whole yeah, thing as well. that's right. And it, it's a way into people's sensibilities. I think, that, you know, you say to anyone, um, what's your favourite material? They're never going to say concrete. You know? yeah. Only architects or engineers would say that. Yeah. And thinking of a very particular kind of concrete, you yeah. know, from a very particular process. And I, I think actually almost everyone likes wood, you know. You can relate to it very directly. So I think as a way in... It's fast, and then once a way into what? A well, way, as a way, a way for people, people liking your yes, architecture, as a way in for people to access architecture. Mm. It's visceral, it's immediate, you know, it's tactile, and so on. And, but then you can do surprising things with it structurally and expressively, because mm. yeah, it, it's kind of, although it's the world's oldest building material, <laughs> it's kind of in after its, rock. It's in, in, in its infancy, yeah. you know, in terms of its potential, especially now we have modern timber, engineered timber, which is a very different thing from traditional, you know, cutting of trees into rectangular most, shapes. Most, most people would just say simply, you know, the colour, warmth and texture is a lot more appealing than the artificial materials that the construction yeah. industry has tended to favour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think... Um, we should say, we okay. should say at this point, though, that... Whilst we're talking about these two projects, Hastings Pier itself is up for the RIBA Sterling Prize shortly after this conversation took place. We don't know whether you're going to win or not yet. Let's talk about that project for a little bit because for me, as somebody who's looked at urban regeneration issues uh, for many years, there's something about that project and the community's involvement, the materials you've chosen to use, which makes it a kind of special piece of architecture, yet some people might say it's not really architecture because it's a pier. So yeah. what? how do you think of it in terms of it being a piece of architecture and its sort of regeneration potential? Tell us a bit about the project itself, perhaps, as a way in. Yeah. Well, it certainly doesn't offer much shelter, does it? Quite the inverse. <laughs> you, go, you go there to apparently walk on water and you're surrounded by wind and the elements, the sea, the sky the driving rain, 
uh, as well as the sun. So, yeah, it doesn't offer shelter in the way that buildings do. There are a couple of buildings on it, but they're not, in a sense, um, what the project is about. The, the project is really, I think, interesting in as much as it's one of those jobs where the architect was able to offer as a kind of agency facilitating a local group to be empowered and take over the responsibility, the ownership and the delivery of a reconstruction of it. Yeah. So it went from privately owned... Commercial failure? Yeah, I mean, inevitably, like many coastal towns, Hastings suffered the, uh, you know, the, the cheap, cheap air flights yeah. from the 70s onwards. PFL into decline. People, you know, why do you use a slot machine if you've got a mobile phone? You know, it's, mm. there's endless games that are more interesting, sophisticated, and free. So they, they you know, as um, a 19th century phenomenon, they all had to reinvent themselves. And this one, some have, you know, there are peers in the country that have managed to do it. But Hastings was a bit of a dinosaur and had become a shanty town of commercialism, should we mm. say, and and then closed, then became dangerous structure, and then, just like that, caught fire as the competition was announced for us to eventually win, yeah. yeah. And the, the approach we made was to not make a building on the end of the pier, not make some iconic structure, a destination, mm. but to make something that could be defined as a well-serviced platform. It's a construction and it has architectonic qualities to it, but nevertheless, it's in the service of other architecture, temporary architecture, yeah, future yeah. architecture. What effect has it had on the town's economy and tourism industry? Do you know? Well, Is it becoming evident already? It is. It, it's, it's, it's been only a year now, hasn't it? it? They visibly have more confidence. I wouldn't say that... Um, you know, the peer alone is responsible for that because, of course, you know, economic factors are many and various and it's not the only project in town. Mm. But for such a large structure to become not only publicly owned by this local charity but uh, an open public space, an enormous, you know, nearly 300 metres long, mm. a fantastic spectacle mm. of, of an open public space, for that to be achieved in the face of what at the beginning of the project seven years ago would seem like a bankrupt context, you know, um, needles in doorways and people um, suffering the highest unemployment and the lowest salaries, if in employment, in the country. So it just turned around into a place where businesses are opening, shops are being, um, you know, mm -hmm. taken over, uh, you see cranes and things happening. And the very people who initiated the peer project are, have moved on to do other regeneration projects in the area. Yeah, there's lots of peers in Britain, aren't they? Some are more successful than others. You said that the engineer who had designed Hastings Pier had actually worked on 52 piers. 13. 13. <laughs> sorry, okay. 13. 13. Yeah, sorry, no. That's, it's still a it's still journalist exaggeration uh, there. No, it's Brian. still, um, he did, um, Eugenius Birch was fantastically inventive, had already had a preliminary career in railway architecture in, um, I think it was Calcutta region, India anyway, and took various techniques, including, incidentally, constructing the pier as a linear um, track-based construction. Um, but he, in particular, pioneered the screw pile, which, when driven into 
tidal water was obviously a superb advantage over yeah. trying to work between tides on traditional digging a hole good with a coffer dam. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Design. Very, yeah. very uh, lat- I mean, that, good that, lateral thinking. Yeah. That, that opens up a whole area of discussion about the role of technical mm. engineering and other issues which yeah. feed into the creative processes that you use as an architect. Is that one of the things that you like about architecture most, that I suppose you're working with a team of people trying to produce something. I mean, it's a bit more like filmmaking in a way that requires a whole host of technical skills driven mm. by a design idea to achieve an outcome. Yes. Is that how you view architecture? Uh, absolutely, and you you do choreograph or orchestrate um, a talented team. We all have different kinds of talents, and the uh, discipline is technical. There's no doubt yeah. about it. It's... it's um, it's possible to have brilliant ideas and then delegate them to other specialists, but invariably, um, between the conception and the creation, you know, falls this shadow of compromise and uh, misunderstandings or miscommunication. So it is better to try and deliver it in-house with a highly skilled technical team who understand how to make things. Mm. I think making is a fantastically important discipline that increasingly has become either fetishized as in, you know, endlessly making coffee, or only about that particular discipline with with blinkers on it. It's, it seems to me it's either that or it's being distanced from the act of making by the computer screen. Right. Yeah. You know, of which there are a lot in architects' offices. And absolutely of invaluable, but a tool which has no clue about materials or scale or, you know, or, yeah. or, or even gravity. Yeah. We've been talking recently about another discipline in architecture, which I think is pertinent to all sorts of other areas, which is trying to communicate these ideas. And, you know, in, in architecture, that's been... The building generally speaks for itself, but before the building gets built, you have to go through this long process of trying to explain why you should be given the right to build something, don't you? And we've been trying to figure out how to tell the story of uh, Hastings Pier recently. As an observer of that process, you're a critic, you're a writer, you're an observer, you're also, in a sense, um, I think a catalyst in the process of uh, the goal of quality, should we say, you know, that business of what happens between the initial idea and then all of this very complicated and political process between that idea and the building or whatever it is opening you know these layers of, of planning and uh, costing and delivery and procurement and detailing and so on as an observer and a critic of that do you think the architect's role is the most important i think that's for me, for me, it is the most important in some ways because you create the product that all the other disciplines are trying to deliver and it is the object that everybody who interacts, everybody has to interact with that object and it has to sustain over a long period of time the ambitions of the developer, the ambitions of politicians, the ambitions of planners who approve it and the people that have to use it for me the quality of the design thought whether it's in an urban design idea or in a building or on the part of a developer 
trying to create a successful building which sustains an income stream over its life or delivers beneficial effects in an area for planners, politicians and local people, all of that has to operate through the successful design, the design of a successful building and the design of a successful place. I don't know where you started out in that process, but I've thought about that for all the time that I've been writing. And it still seems to me the case that whilst you might be able to achieve short-term benefits by skimping on the design or just putting some, taking advantage of an opportunity, those sort of things only really work over the longer term if they're designed really well. So, you know, I kind of agree with your point of view that uh, architect, architecture or urban design, let's say, is the most important element. It helps to synthesize all those other issues mm. into something good or something bad. You're listening to Thought Starters with architect Alex DeRica and urbanist Lee Mallet. There are many disciplines within the construction industry that can deliver certain things that architects traditionally have. For example, um, uh, should we say production drawings or um, should we say project management, mm. you know, or even costing, you know. In days gone by, <laughs> the architect was kind of responsible for all of these things. Now they're different disciplines and I think there has been an undermining of the profession, if you like. But what's absolutely evident in projects like the Pier and Maggie's is that it's about how you start. And if the architects are employed properly from the outset and not um, dispensed with halfway through in favour of uh, some other service of planting, then you get um, not only uh, a thoroughbred outcome, but you also get the critical period of analysis, brief development, discussions with the context, the client, the people living there, and then you get um, something that was not expected. Yeah. You know? Because that understanding and the early conceptualising is never done by anyone else. The, uh, Everyone, uh, okay. all the other I disciplines take, react to the result of that process. Yeah. I, take, I take your point, but I, I couldn't say that I was a massive supporter of the kind of... Uh, unquestioned continuation and aggrandizement of yeah. the architectural profession. Yeah. You, you know, you have to live in the real world where new forces are continually yeah. emerging. And the truth is, is that you have to continue to justify your existence in what is one of the most toughest mm. equations to achieve. Yeah. You know, you're always caught in the middle between these forces that are operating in the marketplace. Mm. I accept what you say about the quality of thought that goes in at the fuzzy front end, as it were, is something which architects kind of uniquely in the built environment industries are trained in. Trained You're trained to think in this kind of yeah. questioning way. And it, it delivers, I know, because I've been through it mm. in various different circumstances, and I've seen it in operation in architecture schools, it generates that, that kind of uh, intellectual... Um, athleticism, intellectual gymnastics that the students are put through 
gives you a discipline for life about questioning the yeah. brief and takes you to other places that clients mm. and local authorities, let's say, mm. who've not been through that process, they just don't have that kind of um, – they don't have that kit that architects have. Yeah, I, think that, I think that's, that's the uh, USP, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's evident in – Maggie's in Oldham mm. and Hastings Pier, mm. you know, a building which is not yeah. a building, as yeah. it were, or a piece of architecture which is not yeah. necessarily a building, yeah. but which delivers this thing. But before we big up architects too much, <laughs> I well, would, as it's one, not my business, that's as, yours, Alex. Well, as, as one, I would also like to say that the kind of traditional model on which the word, dreadful word, architect is based, mm. that traditional model of the sole genius kind of delivering pearls of wisdom and sketches which yeah which don't get delivered um is very dated and the modern construction environment in its widest sense is entirely collaborative so architects work within that context and they, they tend to lead because they are asked first to conceive of the ideas which are then yeah. people are challenged to meet. So uh, I think... Um, You've kind of been forced into that position, though, haven't you, into this new collaborative environment. There's, well, still, there's still a sense in which the public no, I mean, do not... Us, uh, you know, they don't feel happy with yeah, the yeah, auteur yeah. of yeah, the architect. Yeah, yeah. They tend to think of architects as an arrogant profession mm -hmm. who... W decide what they want to do and then impose it on people whether they like it or not. I mean, I think this is a reasonably fair yeah. description of public opinion about architects and the creative processes which architects still feel incredibly enthusiastic about, whilst the public are less enamoured of it, I think. And I suppose what I'm working up to saying is that at Hastings Pier and at Maggie's, there's been a kind of engagement which suggests a newer, stronger process is perhaps beginning to emerge as part of the architect's way of operating in the design process. On, on both projects, we worked very hard to collaborate with a, a wide team that contributed to not only the delivery, the building of it, but the design of it in both cases. So I think, um, yeah, I mean... It, in a quite unselfconscious way, that's how DRMM work anyway. It is a bit of a, I mean, the, the joke is it's a horizontal studio with me at the top of it, but I, on the other, that's just because I'm the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> and the tallest and the biggest. Well, maybe, but I think the, the point is that we do at the studio work like that as a team, um, but the people we... I mean, is elect that, is to that, work is, with consultants and contractors and so on. They now want you to work like that. Well, yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, no, no. I, I just think I just think it's perhaps something. The reason I'm going on about it is because I think that perhaps it's, you know, the public perhaps still has that traditional image of the mm. architect as the fountainhead. Yeah, but that, that's uh, a know, kind of uh, myth generated by a few, isn't it? You watch a documentary on Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright, say, mm. and that's very much how he operated as opposed to the 98% of the other I've not seen Sir Norman Foster in a community engagement <laughs> situation, though, I don't think. <laughs> well, I think... <laughs> Richard the, Rogers, possibly. There's also... Sir Richard Rogers. Yeah, to turn it around, though, there's also um, a, a problem in education in the UK, right, right far back, and no, I'm not talking yeah. about... You know, I'm not talking about post-school, I'm talking about school, I'm not talking about further education, I'm talking about the fact that school children don't learn anything about art and architecture, mm. possibly nothing about architecture, and very little about art. So, And you can see the results all around us. In so, England, especially, perhaps, you might 
barbecue, yeah. do you think? Yeah. 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 What do you think about how poor quality a lot of our built environment is in England? Do you think it is? Yeah. One of the books I remember from studying was Why is British Architecture So Lousy? Yeah. It's called. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's plenty of books, Crap Towns, uh, yeah. Crap Architecture. Yeah. But, you know, a, a glib answer might be because the profession isn't taken seriously enough or employed enough to be, you know, most buildings are put up without no, the could, benefit. I, I'd have to say that lots of people would say lots of British towns are crap because architects worked on them in the first place. Well, yeah, okay, so can you name me the architects who do all the edge-of-town supermarkets then? I can't, not really, no. no. I don't think you'll, you know, I think you'd struggle to find... They're not a heroic addition to Britain's urban spaces and buildings, are they? Not really. Let's just define it more precisely. I think you could confidently say um, more than half of the built environment has nothing to do with architects. Mm. Yeah, so we've got highways, we've got infrastructure, we've got um, all kinds of buildings that don't require the services. You know, I, I would say they do, because mm. they would have been a lot better for the same money. But um, what happens is that the architects are avoided because people don't want to pay for those services, and so they'll put up what's a generic kind of off-the-shelf um, shed instead, um, which, you know has its consequences environmentally and socially. For me, there's you know there's been a clear absence of thinking about urban design issues, which has made itself apparent in the out-of-town shopping sheds, which you've mentioned. And I think that's now been recognised in policy terms, but there still seems to be a vacuum of thinking and research by design within the planning system to look at what the potential for improvement in towns and British settlements might be. Mm. There's a poverty of thinking around the planning process which seems to act mainly as a prophylactic. It prevents things from happening Mm. rather than encourages things. Well, it depends what it is too, doesn't it? Because from the perspective of uh, an architect, it seems to me that often the system comes down on the smaller the smaller people and uh, well for example people might struggle endlessly with their back extension permission and yet down the road is a massive uh, service station being inserted into the um, street or the aforementioned shopping center now how does that work Mm, money money talks huh well i think there's also the problem i think that it's a reactive system so um it hasn't reacted to the need for new housing, has it? Really, it, 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 reactionary, I think, is perhaps. What well, the, the principle is that you show you you put something on the table, and there's a reaction to it, as opposed to, the, should we say, the planning system where the master plans or the city expansions are actually drawn up, and then teams of architects and so on are invited to contribute or react to that plan. You know, it, it's a different system. It's a, on the continent. I mean, my background's Dutch, and the system's very different there, okay. including the way in which the buildings are judged or the designs are judged. So here, here, uh, the same same team that are thinking about um, zoning and use and all of that density are also charged with considering the aesthetics, and that might be somebody who has no training in it at all. 
Yeah, here. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 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 You, you, um, I think we're getting towards the end of our time. So I was just going to ask you, I know you, uh, aids to creativity include in your case and possibly in my case sometimes motorbiking. <laughs> what is it about that that you think makes any kind of contribution to your creative process? You know, on air, that might sound quite random, but it, for me, it's absolutely direct connection between um, how you think about space and how you move through it and how um, you make judgments about dimensions and distance and vision, sight lines, all kinds of things come into it. So um, I know... I've seen you on track, Lee, so I know you pick a good line. And th that's incredibly important too. I mean, when, you know, the design fraternity will understand when they see a very beautiful line drawn. And interestingly, that's on a track, that's the fastest line. It feels good. Mm. You do it because it feels good, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it does. And is that yeah. not the essence of yeah. a, a creative It process? is. And yeah. being at one with... The elements, you know, so you, you you see, you feel, you smell, all of it's there. In a car, it's quite remote, isn't it? You're watching TV in a car, effectively. <laughs> that was architect and DRMM founding director Alex DeRaika and urbanist and director of Urbic, Lee Mallet. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Claire Urban, and edited by Claire Crofton. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time. <laughs>